friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church, and thanks for listening in your lives as well. We're going to be looking at uh, our reading this week, and if you've been reading the Bible plan with us, you know that this past week we finished our 21st book of the Bible. Give yourself a round of applause if you finished 21 books. Maybe you've never read an entire book of the Bible before this year, and now you're 21 books in. And uh, so I'm going to be looking at the book we just finished this week, the book of Hosea, the 21st book that we finished, uh, and believing that God's going to speak to us. Because it's, it's an interesting book. I don't know about you. When you read it, maybe some obvious things stood out to you, like, oh, that's interesting. I never, I never thought about that before. Uh, why would God say that to him, right? So we're going to be looking at what God spoke to the prophet Hosea and how it speaks to us today. And uh, I'm going to give you a recap of the book, and I'm going to look at a few things uh, to highlight to us about what, it, what the book of Hosea reveals to us about the character and the nature of God and how that's going to help us as we continue to follow Jesus and walk this journey of faith with him. Before I go to the text this morning, though, let's pray together. If you're there with your family, draw them close if you're able to, and let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for your presence. We thank you for your promise, God, that you are always with us. You've never left us. You'll never leave us. You'll always be with us. We thank you, Jesus, for your promise. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that's poured out over us, not only over us, but in, in us, dwelling in us and causing us to become more like you, Jesus. We pray that you would speak through this word this morning, that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would be felt, God, as we look at your word today. God, that it would go through uh, the camera screen, Lord, and touch every person who's watching, whether on TV, on their laptop, on their phones, wherever they might be watching, God, that you would touch them and minister to them. God, that they would feel the tangible uh, moving of your Holy Spirit wherever they're at. We ask this in your mighty name, Jesus. Everyone said... Amen. 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 I like that little dab emoji from the Avalos family. You guys are dabbing this morning? Okay. All right. Sounds great. Uh, let's look at Hosea. We're looking at chapter 1. And what I find interesting uh, in, this, in this chapter, starting in verse 2, it tells us that when the Lord, word of the Lord came to Hosea, this is the first time God spoke. It says when the Lord first spoke through Hosea. So this is the first time that Hosea felt the Lord speaking or heard the Lord speaking to him, and this is what the Lord tells Hosea to do. And now if you have children in the, in, in the room with you, brace them. Maybe you might have to have a conversation later, but this is the word of God, and you can explain some words to them as we jump into it. But this is the first thing that God speaks to the prophet Hosea, and he says this, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, hello, and have children of whoredom. Say what? For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, that's a heavy first word. Would you agree? From the Lord? I mean, we want to hear from the Lord, like, He loves us, and he, he, he's, he's shining over us. Could you imagine the first word that you ever hear from the Lord is, go marry a prostitute? I'd be like, say what? Come again? I don't think, I don't think that, was, that was not the Lord. That was not... That. <laughs> I don't think the Lord is saying that to me. Could you imagine? 
I mean, th- I think some of you, if that's the first word you heard from the Lord, you'd be questioning your, your request for the gift of prophecy. I guarantee it. In that moment, you'd be like, I don't want, never mind. I don't want to be a prophet. I don't want <laughs> to hear from the Lord in that way. I mean, can you imagine that? Right off the bat, God tells them, I, I am calling you to be a prophet to the nations. Ooh, we like that part. Oh, you're calling me to be a prophet to the nations? Yes. All right. Okay, first thing you got to do, marry a prostitute. Um, hold up. But this is the word that came to Hosea. I, mar- I want you to marry a prostitute, and she's going to con- And here's the thing. Not only do I want you to marry a prostitute, I, I'm not going to change her ways. She's going to continue to prostitute herself throughout your entire marriage. That's crazy. And I'd be like, I, I didn't hear the Lord on that one. But God tells Hosea to do this as a dramatic, symbolic gesture of what the nation of Israel has been doing. In essence, even from their conception as a nation, all the way back to when Moses, they bring, he, he leads them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and he goes to the mountain, Mount Sinai. What do they do? They begin to worship another god, a golden image of a calf. He says, even from your conception, you've been doing this to me when I joined in covenant with you. And what is marriage? A covenant between two, a promise between two. He says, I promised myself to you, and from the beginning, you've been cheating. And this is just something that we can't really comprehend God asking anyone to do, and, and we surely wouldn't want God to ask us to do it. If that was you and you heard the Lord say that, you'd be like, no. But honestly, can I be, can I be real for a second? I, I honestly believe that God wouldn't be asking us to go out and marry a prostitute to prove a point to how people are re, uh, responding to him and treating him. Uh, and here's why. Brace yourself, because you and I are the prostitutes. Yeah, God wouldn't call you to go marry a prostitute to show how everyone is being unfaithful. Why? Because we are the unfaithful ones. Maybe let that sink in for a little bit. See, again, in the story, anytime we read Scripture and we put ourselves as the hero of the story, we are reading it wrong. Hosea is the hero of this story in a sense because he is stepping in and representing the role or playing the role of God in this situation. And the people of Israel, God's people, are the, one who can, the ones who continue to run out and break their vows of covenant against the God who promised himself to them. So God is revealing himself through the prophet Hosea as the hero acting in place of God, pursuing a wife who we would say is not worthy of pursuit, redeeming her from her lovers, paying their debts that she owed them with no guarantee that she'd stay. Right? We are not Hosea. We are the adulterous wife in this story. Some of you are thinking, maybe I don't want to keep reading these stories. Let that sink in. It's a little, that hits heavy because when we look at the nation of Israel, they were, they were in this role. God says, I, I delivered you from slavery. I entered into covenant relationship with you at Mount Sinai. I brought you into the promised land. I blessed you. I cared for you only for you to take those blessings and pursue everything other than the God who gave them to you. That sounds a lot like today. 
See, in America, we are a blessed nation, and yet we forget the God who has blessed us. We are a blessed people, and yet we, we take our possessions and our blessings and we seek everything else other than the God who gave them to us. And God is saying, look, I've done all of these things to you, and you take them. And he, when he speaks to the nation of Israel, he says, I've blessed you, and you've got, you've got full off my blessing, and now you've grown comfortable and you seek other things other than me. So during Hosea's marriage to Gomer, that's a beautiful name, by the way, Gomer. It's a horrible name. He marries Gomer. She's an adulterous wife, and they have three children, the, the, the Bible tells us. And the first one is presumed, Jezreel, to be Hosea's, but the next two, the way that it, it, it's written in the text, it would presume that they don't belong to him because she goes out and begins to pursue other lovers. So God has him name these two other children that are potentially illegitimate children. He says, I want you to name them not my people, and no mercy. These are your kids, but they're not really your kids because it's an illustration of the fact when the nation went and pursued other things other than me, they pursued no mercy, and they became not my people. Come on, can I, do I got any amens in the chat yet? No, I don't. I promise you. <laughs> I got to preach it, preacher, but that's it. Because... It's reminding us of where we potentially could be when we get fat off the blessings and we forgive the, forget the one who gave them. See, God is essentially saying this, you have rejected me, so I have rejected you. If you reject the God of mercy, you can't receive mercy, can you? If you reject the Prince of Peace, then you will not have peace. I find it interesting that there are some out there in the world who try to entrap God. Those who maybe have been hurt in the church, those who, um, who, who have known Christian people who have been judgmental or who whatever else, and all of a sudden they have this reaction towards God as if God is some malicious manipulator who punishes people because they don't choose to follow him. I don't know if you've had conversations with people like that before, but they, they try to like make say that they try to uh, make it sound like God is like petty and childish, as if they're saying, "Wow, your God is gonna punish me because I don't do exactly what He wants. Your God is gonna is gonna judge me because I don't live the way He wants me to live." That seems very controlling and manipulating. Why would your God do that, right? I've heard people say that before. So controlling, your God. So jealous. So petty. And my response to that would be this. No, your punishment for rejecting God is not God's doing. It's your own doing. Right? God is not punishing you because you've rejected him. You're punishing yourself because you've rejected him. Let me explain. If you reject the God of who is good, if you reject the God of mercy, of love, of joy, the God of goodness and peace and kindness, if you reject him and go in the opposite direction, what are you running towards if not running towards the God of goodness and mercy and grace and peace? You're running to the opposite of those things. 
You're, you're, you're running by definition towards the anti-God or the anti-Christ if you reject Christ and reject God. So if you, if you reject the God who is love, you're running towards no love. If you reject the God of mercy, you're running towards no mercy. So God is saying this, look, if you reject me, it's towards your own punishment that you're running. See, when we reject God, we're running towards our own punishment. So God is not punishing us for not accepting him. We are punishing ourselves. And we are deceived by our own sin, saying that what we're running after is actually what we're wanting, when really, in reality, who God is is everything that we need. So if you need mercy today, you need to experience the goodness of God today, the love, the peace, the joy of God, you run towards him. Because whatever you're running after is not going to be it for you. See, we fall into our own punishment when we're seeking mercy, but we run from the God who is mercy. We are, we are running towards hatred or we're even running towards loneliness when we reject the God who is love. And when we run away from him, we are running towards sin. And, and we know that God is just and God has to judge sin. So we are actually running towards our own judgment when we reject God. So God tells the people, God tells the people by way of Hosea's own home life that since you've rejected the God of mercy, you'll have no mercy. Since you rejected him, you won't have me. That's what he tells the people. And actually, in reality, and you can tell me this in the comments right now, do you think that's fair? I think that's 100% fair. Hey, if you don't want me, that's okay. I mean, this is kind of like a, in a dating relationship where one person just is confident about who they are and the other person is like, I'm going to go do my own thing. I, th I feel like this is, this, is, this is faith, right? So if I was like, you know what, faith, I'm done. She'd be like, okay, bye, there's the door. Like, you ain't going to have all this? That's your fault. Like, <laughs> you know, that's, in a, in a sense, the Lord is saying, look, you're going to reject me? All right. It's to your own disadvantage. You don't want to know me? Okay, go, you're going out and find, you're not going to find anything out there that is good as this right here. And that's what the Lord is telling the people. You reject me, you're not going to have this. And in all, re all reality, that's fair. That is fair. You're right. That's right, Patricia. It is fair. But here's, what's, here's where the story turns as we continue to read through Hosea. And it reveals the greatness and the goodness and the mercy of our God. Because God being a God of mercy, and mercy means that he does not give us what we deserve, right? We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. We deserve, uh, we deserve all the things that, that are coming to us in relation to bad choices and, and wild uh, oats that we've sown and, and all of these things, right? That we deserve all of this junk to come on us, and yet God in his mercy does not give it to us, right? He does not give the people wholeheartedly what they deserve as he's speaking to Hosea. He tells them, yes, is there punishment coming? Yeah, there is. There are some things that you will have to pay a price for if you've committed the crime. 
And that's not hard for us to understand, right? If you commit murder, you can be forgiven by the family, and yet you still have a price to pay. You still have to serve your time. God is saying, you've committed so much sin against me that there is punishment coming, and it has to come. And, then it's, and for the people of Israel, it was in, in the way of Ass- the Assyrian army coming and to take over the land to capture the people and take them into captivity. God says this, your nation's going to be destroyed. Your homes, your temple, your buildings, your walls are going to be all torn down. There is punishment coming. But God, even in their punishment, declares through Hosea that I will again be merciful to you. Before we even get out of chapter 1, he tells them, starting in verse 10, After this is going to be a destruction against them, he says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. This is a promise he gave to Abraham. So God is still remembering his covenant promise. Before Abraham was anybody, God said, Your children will, will outnumber the sand on the seashore. And he's saying this still. Even though they're going into judgment, I'm still keeping my promise because our God is a God of promise. And when he says, and in the place where it was said to them, listen, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, it should be said of them, to them, children of the living God. So just before then, he said, name your children because they have been born in adultery, not my people. They'll have no mercy. And now he tells them, verses 10, They will be called children of the living God. And as he continues into chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. See, God would not give them up. God would not give them up. Not because they deserved another chance, but because God is a God of love, compassion, and faithfulness. He is a God of love, compassion, and faithfulness. He, in fact, tells them in chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, here's the reason why I'm not going to let you fall to the wayside. Because I love you, because of my love, because of my compassion towards you, and because of my faithfulness. In fact, in the first three chapters of Hosea, we see this overarching theme in the first three chapters, and it's this, that Israel has sinned against God, And they will experience some major consequences of their sin. But, and this is a huge but here, huge but. But God's love and mercy is more powerful than their sin. If you're taking notes right now, I want you to write this down. God's love and his mercy is more powerful than your sin. Meaning this, that God, he tells them, I will redeem you again. I will redeem you again. See, I don't think that we fully grasp the greatness of God's love and mercy. I don't think that we fully grasp it. We think that, it, that it's small and weak in comparison to our sin. See, some of us might be struggling today, and we think, how can I ever be free? The sin is too overpowering. It overpowers me. I feel like I don't have a choice. And yet, if you're a follower of Jesus, then God's love and his mercy are more powerful than the sin that you're walking through right now. I should see, I should see some amens. Here they go. Come on, bring them in. God's love and mercy is more powerful than your sin, meaning that God, his love and mercy are fierce and powerful. 
And this morning, if you hear nothing else from this message, I want you to hear this. That I declare to you today that I don't care how, how far you've gone or how deep you've dived into your sin. God has the power and the ability to pull you up out of that sin today and set you free and make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. All you got to do is cry out to him and believe that his love and his mercy is more powerful than sin, than the sin that you're in. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is my first point for us this morning, that God is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. He's a God of mercy. We want to we know God's character. We want to know his nature. And in the book of Hosea, we see first, the first thing that we see is he is a God of mercy. Yes, is he just? Definitely. But he wants us to know him as a God of mercy. See, God is the one who actually has to transform us. God is the one who has to do the work in us. Because we can't pull ourselves out of the pit. We can't set ourselves free from sin. We can't, we can't do it on our own, with our own merit. We can't do it with our own willpower. We can't bring ourselves out of darkness. We can't bring ourselves to life from death, which is the wages of sin. We can't do it. We'll keep falling back into old patterns, or we'll get new ones of sin that will attach themselves to us. So maybe you were able, you thought, hey, I, I got free from drugs on my own. Well, you got a new thing that's set upon yourself. It's called pride. You, maybe you say that I, 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 I'm a, uh, I used to think worthless of myself, but now I think I'm the best. Well, you might have some other junk that's coming on your life because you cannot set yourself free from sin or from bondage. Only God can do that in you. Only God can set us free. And God knew it was true for the people of Israel, too. He knew it from the start. He knew that they would not have a change unless he changed them from the inside out. That they would continue to rebel and choose death rather than life. They would continue to choose sin rather than freedom and life in him. And this is what he spoke to the, through the prophet Hosea in chapter 4 and verse 1. He tells them, he says, look, there's no knowledge of me in this land. There's no knowledge of me. There's no knowledge of me in this land. And did the people of Israel know about God? Did they know about the God of Israel? Yes, sure, sure, of course they did. They even claimed to worship him. At the same time they claimed to worship the God of Israel, they also worshiped Baal, and they also worshiped Asheroth, and they also worshiped all these other gods of the lands of the people around them. They knew his name, they claimed to worship him, but really they didn't know him. See, this word translated as knowledge or to know in Hebrew is not just intellectual knowledge, not just head knowledge, it's relational knowledge as well, to know somebody. See, religion can try to give you intellectual knowledge about God, but religion won't save you. Religion won't set you free. Religion won't bring you from death to life. It won't give you a new heart and a new freedom. Only uh, that only happens through relationship, knowledgeable relationship with Jesus, to know him relationally, to know him intimately. See, it's the, it's the difference between stalking someone on Instagram and saying you know them or actually knowing them, having a personal relationship. I know people who follow celebrities, they think they know everything about them. 
Justin Bieber. I, Justin Bieber, I love Justin Bieber. I don't know how many people come from the South who love Justin Bieber, but they say, oh, I know, I know where he lives. I know this about him. I know his favorite color. I know what he likes to eat, blah, blah, blah. But do you know him? No, you have a knowledge of him, but you don't know him, right? And this is what God was saying. My people think they know me. They know my name. They say they, cl they cry out to me, but they don't know me at all. They don't know me. They don't know me relationally. Why? Because if you're taking notes again, again, write this down. Number two, not only is he a God of mercy, he's a merciful God, but he's also a relational God. See, God wants relationship with us. He doesn't just want a bunch of religious uh, people walking around, doing all these religious ritual and not know him, not have relationship with him, not be in relationship. When you're in relationship with someone, that means you're spending time with them, you know their heart, you're sharing life together, you have intimate moments together, you're building memories together. God wants that with us because he's a relational God. He's relational. And honestly, transformation happens in relationship. Transformation happens in relationship. We get a small glimpse of that in marriage. Right before, before you get married, you're single. You put a ring on it. You say, I do. You've been transitioned, transformed from single to married. Now two have become one. Yes? This is a picture of the transformation that happens to us in relationship with God. When we become in relationship with God, he comes into our lives. He comes into our heart. Now two have become one inside of us. Not only do we have our own heart and soul, now we have the Spirit of God living within us, and He brings transformation in us and through us because He's a relational God. Transformation happens in relationship. You don't feel like you're being transformed. You need to get closer to God. You need to be in relationship with God. It's in relationship that He gives us new life. It's in relationship that new things are birthed in relationship. Because he's the only one who can make us more like him. At the end of Hosea chapter 14, verse 4, God tells the people, because he's the only one who can do it. They just have to be willing, but God is actually the one who brings the transformation from the inside out. And God tells us, he tells the people of Israel, and he's also speaking to us here. He says, I will heal their apostasy, and I will love them freely. See the first two words of the, that verse? I will. God is saying, I'll do it. Not you. Not because you got better. Not because you chose better ways. Not because you decided to clean yourself up or let things go. Not because you decided to get up earlier in the morning and do something else. No. God says, I will do it. I will heal their apostasy. What does apostasy mean? Basically, rebellion against God. I will cause them, inside them, to be a transformation in their heart to where they desire me more than to rebel against me. Because I will do it, and I will love them freely. God is the one who will do the work. And the work that God did to heal our apostasy and to be able to love us freely is the work of Jesus upon the cross and the life that he lived in perfection, without sin, a sinless life, a death he did not deserve on the cross, and three days later rising from the dead. In that work, God was speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet Hosea, I'm going to do something powerful that's going to heal you of your apostasy, your rebellion, and to where I'll be able to love you freely, and you'll be able to experience my love freely, and it's through the work and the person of Jesus. And 
the work that he did and he completed on the cross. So when he said, it is finished, he was speaking all the way back to this prophecy in Hosea in chapter 14, verse 4, that I have done it. I have healed now. On the cross, Jesus says, when it is finished, he's saying, I have healed their apostasy. I am able now to love them freely without ritual and religion. I can love them and they can love me. See, God knew the people needed to be set free and they needed a new heart and he needed to do it in them. He was the one who'd have to do the work so he sent his only son. Why? Because he's a merciful God. He's a relational God. He wants to have mercy on us. He wants to be in relationship. And number three, he is a faithful God. He is faithful. Even when we're faithless, even when we struggle to have faith, even when we're stumbling, he still remains faithful. Come on, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. God is faithful. I heard a, a pastor say this once in my, in my closing. If, uh, Jackie, if you could come back. I heard this pastor say, you know, as a pastor, we long for our people to live and in a closer relationship with Jesus. But I, on the uh, outside looking in, the way that we try to perceive that if people are drawing closer to Jesus is if they're living differently. If they're not sinning, they're not going out and clubbing it up and sleeping around and doing all these other things and getting messed up and, and entangling their lives with junk. And so some pastors take it upon themselves to try to get their people to stop sinning. Just stop sinning. Stop doing what you're doing. And all that's, all, that's all you hear the pastor say, just stop it. Don't do this. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Right? And that became a big thing for decades. Like, don't go to the movies because it could be perceived that you're going to be in, in sin. Don't, don't dance. Right? Don't, don't have premarital sex because it could lead to dancing. <laughs> right? Don't do these things. And it would be any, like a pastor's job to tell people, just stop sinning. Don't do that. Just be better. What I've realized is that it's not my job to get you to stop sinning. It's not my job to just help you live a better life. No, my job is to point you to Jesus. My role, my sole responsibility is to help you see Jesus more clearly. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to encounter Jesus. I want you to be filled with the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. I want you to walk closely with Him. And as you do that, all the other stuff will fade away in the light of his glorious face. I want you to know Jesus. And, 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 and through this message today, through the prophet Hosea, through the book, the 21st book of the Bible that we've read together, I want you to know that God is merciful. So whatever you've been wrestling with, whatever you've been walking through, maybe you don't feel worthy. Maybe you've been trying to pull yourself up and you keep falling back down. Remember that God is a merciful God who wants to extend his mercy towards you this morning. I want you to know that God is a relational God. He doesn't want to keep you at arm's distance. He doesn't want to say, you stay over there, you filthy thing. He doesn't say, like, you get away from me. No, no, he says, I've made the ultimate sacrifice to bring you closer. I've washed you in the blood of my son. I have purified you so that you can be closer. God wants you to be closer today. Not through your own effort, 
because he is loving, compassionate, and merciful. He is faithful. Our God is a faithful God. So you've been going through stuff. You've been struggling. Maybe you've been making some poor choices. God is still faithful. And he's still there, ready to call you home, to call you closer. Because he's merciful, he's relational, and he's faithful. This is what we see through the prophet Hosea. This is what I want you to see today. God wants to set us, sell, set us, set us free. God wants to move in our hearts. Because he loves us. knows that he's the only one that can transform us. He's the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can set us free. So this morning, I would encourage you to run towards Jesus. Because if you run from him, what are you running towards? If Jesus is the Prince of Peace and you reject him, what are you running towards? No peace. If God is the God of mercy and you need his mercy, and you reject him, what are you running towards? Judgment. You need to encounter his love today, his goodness today, his mercy today, his joy today. You run towards him, you embrace him, you press into him. And if you don't even know what you're feeling or what you're experiencing, maybe you've got some stuff going on. Ask him, what's going on inside me? What am I feeling? What am I experiencing right now, God? What's causing me to not want to be close to you? God, speak to my heart so that I can draw closer because he, he's a relational God. He wants the conversation, good, bad, or ugly. He'll take the conversation because he's relational. We don't have to go to God with all these these and thous and thou arts and we pray in King James and we got to be proper. No, he wants the, he wants the nitty-gritty, the nitty-gritty nacho libre kind of conversation chancho balling his sweatpants conversation he wants you as you are those of you who know nacho libre get those references if you don't you know what just okay go rent a movie somewhere but God is relational God he loves you he's calling you and if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning my, my call to you is that you would become one. That you would stop right now in this moment and say, Jesus, as simple as this, Jesus, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know you. Would you come and wash me? Would you come and save me? Would you allow me to experience your mercy? Would you come and transform my heart? If that's you right now and you don't have a relationship with Jesus or maybe you did and you walked away God is saying I'm faithful to you and this is my faithfulness to you I'm calling you back home right now I'm calling you home right now so would you just bow your heads and close your eyes say Jesus be the Lord of my life I put my hope in you I put my trust in you made a mess of my life I need you now I need your mercy I need your grace I need you to be close to me I want to be close
wash me. Make me new. Forgive me, Lord. I trust you. We thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It helps us out a lot. If you're interested in some